You're listening to the Immaculate Podcast with Tim McMaster and Ed Bachet. Hey everyone, welcome into the Immaculate Podcast. Tim McMaster here. Just a programming note, this episode of the podcast was recorded before the latest information on Ben Roethlisberger's season-ending injury. We do speculate about the injury and the fact that he might be done for the year, what that means for the team and so forth. We will have an updated version, an emergency Big Ben podcast coming out later today as well. But this podcast also features a full recap of Sunday's loss to the Seahawks with Ed Bouchette. So make sure you enjoy this one and stay tuned for the next one coming up later. We are recording early on Monday morning. Tim McMaster here along with Ed Bouchette as Steeler Nation collectively holds its breath waiting for the news of Ben Roethlisberger today. He'll have an MRI on that elbow. Of course, he left the game on Sunday in the second quarter, did not return, and it did not look good. Uh, we'll get into to that and Mason Rudolph and how he looked and, and everything about a 28-26 loss to the Seahawks that drops the Steelers to 0-2. And Ed, we've, we've talked about it already going into the game how bad a spot 0-2 is um, on Friday Mark Caboli and us when he mentioned that uh, 12% of teams that start 0-2 since the 1990 realignment have reached the postseason and most of those probably had their starting quarterback um, just um, can I check on the mood of Steeler Nation right now in your eyes on this Monday morning well I don't know about Steeler Nation but I can tell you the Steelers were not in a terrible mood yesterday um uh but uh, you know you thought they should be but they they won't because they could have lost their starting quarterback for a while if not the season and um they lost a game to go 0-2 um you know after every loss you can predict quote Steeler Nation Tim they're (laughs) outraged they want everybody fired they're looking forward to Mason Rudolph playing now uh, it's it's it gets ludicrous. So I try not to uh, look too deeply into quote Steelers Nation. Lots of other injuries as well. James Conner left the game, and then on on defense you had more. Um, but you mentioned Mason Rudolph, and I've, it's always been a fascinating thing in the NFL that the most popular guy in the eyes of the fan base generally for teams that are struggling definitely is the backup quarterback. He's always popular until he gets into the game, and now Mason Rudolph is going to get his chance to shine. Now, one thing that, that you know has affected Mason Rudolph and affected Ben Roethlisberger is, is just weapons and what they can throw to. Now, before the injury, Ben was 8 of 15 for 75 yards, and it was pretty clear in that first half, Ed, that, that one thing that hadn't changed since the tough loss up in Foxborough in Week 1 to the Patriots is that there's just not guys getting open and there's not a lot to throw to out there. Um, and that's not going to change with the backup quarterback. But what did you see as far as Ben's performance first half and then what Mason Rudolph did second half? Is there some hope there? Well, I saw they had a lot of time to throw. I mean, their line was giving them, Tim, plenty of time to throw. Right, which is what we anticipate, find, yeah. Right, they couldn't find open receivers. Um and it's not the quarterback's fault they couldn't find open receivers. It was the receivers weren't getting open. So, um, first of all, Dante Moncrief has to be uh, moved from number two on the list to number six at the very least on the list, and everybody else moves up. Uh, they've given him 
enough chances in the two games. He's been targeted, what, nine or ten times. He has four drops, uh, including a touchdown in New England. And yesterday, a killer drop right through his hands. It wasn't like it was close. I had both hands on it, nobody there. And when it went through his hands, it was intercepted. Instead of having a first down at their 40, Seattle had a first down at the Steelers' 40 and moved in for a touchdown in a game they lost by two points. Yeah, brutal. The, the tip off, the, the and that was really right when Rudolph comes in, right? Second career pass, and he finds right. Moncrief off the fingertips, and it's picked off. And, I mean, is there any explanation for how bad Dante Moncrief has been? Because he came in, and he was supposed to be the the consistent addition that would help out with uh, the loss of Antonio Brown. It's almost like you see infielders in baseball who get the yips and can't throw. It's almost like he has the yips out there. Not good for a receiver when that's your only job. You know, I thought he would be a, a, a good addition um, when they signed him. Um, and I thought also uh, after watching him in the spring and training camp, um, of course he hurt his finger in training camp and didn't go, uh, go through everything, but nevertheless, uh, Thought he would, he seemed to be building a rapport with Roethlisberger, and I thought thought he might be able to help. He's been terrible, and I can't put a finger on it. Um, of course, he put a lot of fingers on that ball yesterday; it didn't help either. Um, but I did have someone in the organization tell me he never liked Moncrief, and he hopes he's wrong. He told me that back in the spring. Unfortunately for the Steelers, it looks like he's right. So a brutal start for Rudolph because of that tip ball, a tough way to, to kind of get your feet wet in the NFL as a young quarterback. But then he comes back and he ends up going 12 for 19, 112 yards, and he throws a couple of touchdown passes to Vance McDonald. Um, it's You never want to have to go to that backup quarterback, but Mason Rudolph at least is a guy that the Steelers hope could be a future quarterback for them. So it's not like the, the – um, you know, the long-time backup that they're throwing in there. This is a guy that they think has a lot of upside. So first impressions of Mason Rudolph as a legitimate quarterback in the NFL. What did you think? Oh, I, I very, very much liked him. Uh, he made so much improvement from his rookie year to this year. I wrote a story on The Athletic about it in the spring. Um, he went with a strength and uh, a, a coach who start, helped strengthen his arm and worked on his mechanics. And uh, you could see the difference, um, and uh, it it came came out uh, Sunday in that game. He he looked poised. That pass to uh, Vance McDonald uh, for the touchdown over the middle. It was a quick pass. He took the took the ball, snapped it off right to McDonald in traffic over the middle in the back of the end zone. If you if you covered the quarterback you would have thought that was vintage Ben Roethlisberger yeah that and I mean he's been watching Ben so it makes sense I guess he's he's taking off some of those those things now one interesting thing when you look at the quarterback situation as a whole is obviously the Steelers traded away Josh Dobbs to the Jaguars so when you look at the overall depth chart if Ben is done for the year or done for a long period of time which it certainly kind of feels like on this Monday morning Rudolph's the starter and then you go to the practice squad, right, for the backup, and it's not a great situation to be in, but when you're getting to that point, uh, you're in trouble anyway. Yes, it, that's true. Um, they traded Josh Dobbs be because Rudolph had really surpassed him, and 
as a third string quarterback. What are you going to do with him? And you get a fifth round pick, you take it. Um, I'm, I, I have to check into this, Tim, as we sit here Monday morning. I haven't yet. Um, Landry Jones signed with the uh, XFL. And I don't know, other leagues like this in the past have allowed these guys an out clause if the NFL came calling. That would be more logical to me than elevating Hodges. You could go sign. it. We're talking if Ben is out for the season, I think, here, mostly. Uh, you can go to Landry Jones and see if he wants to be the backup quarterback again to uh, Mason Rudolph. That would be my logical thing. The only thing holding it back, again, I haven't checked on it. You have to see if uh, if there is an out with that new league because Landry Jones did sign with the with the XFL. Yeah, and the XFL still hasn't had the official draft yet. Landry Jones, the first ever player signed by that league. That's a very good point. Um, and, and you wonder if he would prefer to be a backup quarterback in the NFL versus a starting quarterback in the XFL. I would think I so. Can I would that think the, quick, Tim. the money's probably a little better, quick. right? <laughs> well, yeah. Plus the opportunity. I yeah. mean, he, he knows what line it is. He, he has here, he knows, he knows the system. Uh, you're, he, he, as a veteran, he would get more money. I don't know what he signed with, with the XFL. I can guarantee you. It wasn't um, big money, um, so I, I think he's looking for an opportunity, and this would be the best opportunity of all for him. Uh, and he exhausted all the opportunities in the past. That's why he went with the XFL because um, no one else was looking at him here. All right, let's move away from the quarterbacks a little bit. And James Conner also left the game, limped off in the fourth quarter. He didn't return. It's a knee injury. Uh, I'll probably hear more about that and and what it actually is either later today or maybe on Tuesday. Uh, he wasn't super effective when he was in the game. At 11, for, 11 carries for 33 yards, he did have the short touchdown run. And actually, Samuels and Snell, in a lot of ways, looked better. They combined to carry the ball four times for 45 yards, obviously limited action there. But overall, the running attack hasn't been good through two weeks. You mentioned the passing protection was good by what's supposed to be a great Steelers offensive line. What's going on with the run um, just overall, the O-line, the running backs, what's going on there that they can't move the ball in the ground? Well, they haven't been consistently trying either, Tim. Um, here's an example. I mean, the Seattle ran the ball 33 times. The Steelers ran it 16, and that includes uh, one run by um, by Mason Rudolph, which was a good run, by the way. That scramble was really uh, – got him a first down, and it was – it was uh, it was a good move by him, good decision. Uh, I, I I Connor doesn't look the same running the ball. I don't know what it is. Uh, they tried, uh, you know, they tried to put a tight end in the backfield to help him out a couple times. Um, he did look good on that short yardage touchdown run. The next time they had a short yardage, he put Benny Snell in there. Um, he um, he did have a fourteen yard run. And he did have that, he perfectly executed the uh, flea flicker pitch back to Rudolph that, you know, that went for that big pass um, 45 yards to uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. So, um, I don't know. You know, uh, they, they, they haven't been committed to the run, and um, that could be part of the reason. 
Yeah, certainly. And you wonder if Rudolph becomes the guy, if they will be a little more committed to the run just to take some of the pressure off of him as the quarterback. Uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. I mentioned defensive injuries on this team. Vince Williams left the game with a hamstring. Sean Davis with a shoulder. Uh, Anthony Chiquillo with a plantar fasciitis, which tends to be a pain issue in the foot. But Vince Williams was supposed to be the communicator on Sunday, um, and then he left the game. And that put this defense in a tough spot as well. So let's transition over to the other side of the ball. We'll talk about what went right, what went wrong. But let's start with communication. Um, Devin Bush briefly um, had the that communication role with the green dot, but then it ended up being them just getting the calls from the sideline. Um, this is two games now where that's been an issue, just communicating and getting people in the right positions. How do they fix that, Ed? Well, I think they need to be more consistent in who's calling the plays, first of all. Um, they don't want, they didn't want Bush, I assume, not because he's, uh, may not play the whole game, because Vince Williams wasn't going to play the whole game, you know, every snap. Um, I just don't think they're confident in, in him calling the plays yet. Uh, I don't know what you do. You, you, they wound up giving it to Mark Barron, uh, the, the, helm, the, the, the helmet with the radio thing in it. Um, maybe they should give it to Terrell Emmons. Maybe they need to give it to uh, someone like um, Cam Hayward who's in there all the time. I don't know. It's always been an inside linebacker since I've been covering this team. And um, because they have had three in there the whole, you know, and they rotated them in and out, they wanted to give it to T.J. Watt the first game. But he's outside. You know, you, you want somebody right. in the middle of the defense. So, I'm guessing if Vince is out, that uh, Bush will get it this week. Bush or uh, Barron, because both will be playing most of the time. All right. Now, one of the issues that hurt this team, Russell Wilson was very good. 29 of 35, 300 yards. He had the three touchdowns. And, and I mean, Russell Wilson's a great quarterback. But the tight end play, it you've talked about this, I think, since the preseason. This team struggles to cover tight ends. And Will Disley had a huge day, five catches, 50 yards. He had a couple of touchdowns. And some of those were blown assignments. Um, I just don't understand how it seems like they just can't get that right as far as covering tight ends. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, uh, the first one was blown. I believe it was the first one. It was just over Bush, Tim. And, uh, you know, Bush, for all his talent and everything else, he has at least one shortcoming. He's 5'11". <laughs> See what you do. And uh, the tight end is 6'4". So you have five inches on the guy, and that pass was over uh, Bush's head, and he, he couldn't couldn't defend it. I mean, he just couldn't. Um, and then the other one, there were three players around uh, the, the, the tight end when uh, he caught the other touchdown pass, uh, and they just seemed c confused. John Davis just, you know, was was upset with something. Uh, we didn't get to talk to him because he has a shoulder injury. It's also probably, I think, is getting an MRI. and um, But he seemed real upset on the field at the time. Long line at the MRI machine today for the Steelers, which is which is not what you want. Um, the play that I think will stand out as far, other than the injuries to, to fans today, and, and it seems like everyone with the Steelers, the coaching staff, and you rarely hear Mike Tomlin um, talk about officiating or calls after the game, but even he had a problem with the defensive pass interference call in a situation where it was a second and 20, Steelers trying to get the 
ball back, trying to, you know, make something happen. Um, and it's kind of a ball that was thrown up in the air where you think uh, defensive players will have a little more leniency to, to kind of go up and, and get after it. Terrell Edmonds goes up, and there's no call initially. They review it, and they rule it pass interference. Now, this is obviously something new in the NFL this season, and coaches and teams were monitoring how it went through the preseason. Um, this one, to me, I don't get it. Just looking at the replay – they called it uh, clear that it was pass interference, and I just don't get it. And I think this is the first one this year around the NFL, and there's going to be a lot of this where on Monday morning we're wondering, still wondering, what exactly is pass interference? Well, the Steelers' old buddy Al Riveron is the one who uh, overturned that in New York. And Mark Caballi has a really good story on The Athletic today, uh, Monday as we speak. Um uh, on that, he talked to Riveron, um, and Riveron gave the explanation to him. And Mark wrote a really good story talking to players and coaches about it, or Mike Tomlin about it. Um, so I would suggest go reading that. But you're right, Tim. Uh, people had real concerns. A lot of people when they put this rule in that you could um, you could challenge calls. Uh, both ways, whether it wasn't called or whether it is called pass interference. And it's only the second game in the season, and already just looking at the Steelers, there's a controversial big time. I didn't think it was pass interference either. I kept looking at it and looking at it. Um, you know, uh, that, the Seahawks um, challenged another one earlier and didn't get the call, but this time they did, and it was a big one. Yeah, Riveron, uh, his quote about the call was that it was clear and obvious, and that's kind of what the ruling is. But, you know, you go back to the reason this rule is in play, and it's obviously the Saints-Rams uh, playoff game last season in the NFC Championship, and that was an egregious call. It was terrible, and I get it. From the moment that play happened and people started talking about, we need to change this, we need to do something different, I disagreed. I said it was a mistake, mistakes happen, but if you put instant replay on these, it's just going to make it all worse. And so far, it seems like that that's the case. I mean, we'll see, and obviously if there's a playoff game where there's a terrible call and it gets overruled, well, that's probably the right thing, but, but to be able to overrule a play that was so close, I feel like... And if it's that close where we can all watch the play and we're not really sure what the contact was, then it can't be overturned. It's like in other sports, that's always kind of the the evidence you need is it has to be an obvious thing and a clear thing. And I think if it's as close as this play, you got to stick with whatever the play, whatever the ruling on the field was has to be what, what ends up being the call. And that was not the case this time. It ends up being huge because Wilson goes on to throw the 28 yard strike to DK Metcalf, who he looks really good early on in the season, but it's certainly one that's going to sting for the Steelers. Who knows if it was really a difference maker in the game. Um, one but, more thing but, about the replay, the unintended consequences of this new rule that you can challenge it. Yesterday, it was third and 20 when that call was made. When it's third and deep like that, you may, you're, you're going to see more quarterbacks just put the ball up like a Hail Mary and hope for that kind of call. And uh, particularly, now, on a regular Hail Mary, it's toward the end of the game, uh, toward the end of the half. You're at the 50. You're, there's only... Five seconds left, and you have no choice but to throw it in the end zone. 
Well, every time there's a, a, a Hail Mary into the end zone, a defensive player is knocking down or bumping or, you know, otherwise, quote, interfering with an offensive player, and it's never called. Now you watch what happens. It's going to be called unless unless the referee somehow or Al Riveron somehow changes their tactics and the league can, can tell them to do that. You're going to see uh, pass interference calls on incomplete Hail Mary passes in the end zone. And then, let's say it's five seconds left in the game, that team gets one more play at the one-yard line, uh, even if time ran out. If it's a penalty in the end zone, one play from the one, it's unintended consequences. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of these replays right at the ends of games. I agree. And and it seems like this particular one, before we move on, goes against the preseason where, and this is from Mark's story, the, the numbers, uh, there was 39 replays, only five were overturned in the preseason. Um, and then to have this one overturned seems to, to not make sense. All right, one other thing from the defense that kind of stood out to me, Ed, is if you're a good defense and you're in a close game and you're trailing, you need to be able to get the ball back to your offense. You need to be able to get off the field and stop a team from running the clock out. And they were able to get Seattle in some third and longs in that final drive. Uh, Wilson scrambled a couple of times, picked up first downs, and they just couldn't do it. They couldn't get the ball back to Mason Rudolph for a chance to, to keep this game going. Um, is that just kind of evidence of the many one of the many shortcomings of this defense is is not closing out a possession. You know, Tim, I still think this defense is going to be better than last year, and they did stop them on that third and twenty we were just talking about. Fa- so, okay, uh, fair enough. Yeah, you know, it, it just um, it, it shouldn't have been. Uh, they should have stopped them, and they they obviously didn't. But um, nevertheless, uh, they did give up scrambles by a quarterback who knows how to do that. You know, that that was the killer for them. Third and 16, uh, they, they stopped them, or they didn't stop. Well, they stopped them one yard short, and then on fourth and one, uh, they, they ran up the middle for two yards, couldn't stop the short yardage the way the Patriots stopped short yardage on them last week. Um, anyway, um, and, and I apologize, that, that third and 20, was not on that one. It was second and 20. I keep saying third and 20. It was second on 20. It was the previous series. So, um, But nevertheless, uh, third and 16 couldn't stop him, and the fourth and one play couldn't stop him. Uh, and Disley, by the way, caught the first two passes to get that drive going. All right. We like to... Send people away from the podcast thinking a few good vibes at least. So we'll try to pick out some positives. Vance McDonald had a couple of touchdowns, although it seemed like he still wasn't the factor that you'd hope he would be. What did you see from Vance on Sunday? Yeah, I, they started throwing to him early, Tim, uh, and then they went away from him. Uh, he wound up actually catching more passes than anybody, seven, but for only 38 yards. But you could give him that because he scored two touchdowns and you know, you can only score if, if, if you can only score as far as uh, like one was on the eight yard line. He's not going to get right. more than eight yards if he scores a touchdown. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Vance McDonald. I I like the looks of this rookie wide receiver Deontay Johnson. He only caught one pass, but that was uh, it was like the in the preseason where he caught those two touchdown passes in the second game. The, the second one was. Um, 
was overturned because of pass interference. But nevertheless, the moves he put on in those two touchdown passes, this was the same way. It was only 17 yards. It was on the right sideline. It was supposed to be a back shoulder pass, which is behind the receiver, and it's almost impossible if it balls there for the for the uh, defensive back to, to, to uh, stop it. Well, Mason Rudolph didn't throw it back shoulder. He, he, he was off. He threw it uh, three yards the other way. And Johnson adjusted so quickly, uh, and he turned his body completely around and caught the pass. I've seen enough of him. I'm moving him up ahead of at least um, Dante Moncrief. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a couple bright spots right there in the receiving core, I think, that you might be able to work with. So ahead of Moncrief, does he? Where does he fit in with uh, with Washington? So Johnson and well, Washington. Yeah, I, Johnson showed a little bit more, but Washington still shows you those glimpses. Yeah, they're not throwing to him. I, you know, he was only right. targeted three times. Uh, you know, they 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 targeted um, uh, Johnson four times. He only caught one, but nevertheless, you know, uh, and and they. Uh, but but Moncrief uh, has to be out, and that would make. I think you got to you have to look at Washington and Johnson. They're they're two high picks. Washington was your second rounder last year, and um, Deontay Johnson was the pick they got from for Antonio Brown in the third round, which was the second pick of the third round. They didn't have a second rounder, remember, because of the trade to move up to get Bush. So right. he's their second pick this year. I think those two uh, you need to. Uh, I know they're young, but hey, what's better, young or Dante Moncrief? <laughs> well said. Uh, young in catching the ball or Dante Moncrief in not catching the ball? Another way to look at it. Well, you know, a couple other bright spots, Tim. Uh, they had four sacks. You know, T.J. Watt looked really good. Again, that's no uh, newsflash. He's, he's been good ever since he arrived here as a first-round pick in 2017. Um and, uh, you know, Stefan Tuitt looked really overpowering, two and a half sacks. So there's a couple bright spots that I saw there on defense. Um, there weren't a whole lot, but, um, you know, um, hey, we just talked about it. Mason Rudolph was a bright spot, and that could be the biggest news of all. Yeah, and that that's what we're going to find out, I guess, later today is how much of a uh, – how much Mason Rudolph needs to do the rest of this season? So zero and two, possibly looking at a at least a, a significant amount of time with a backup quarterback. Um, you know, where does this team go from here, Ed? San Francisco, Tim. I hate to be, <laughs> hate to be funny, man. Here, but uh, the Forty ers are two and zero. Garoppolo's playing well out there. You know, they weren't very good last year. It's as uh, everybody knows. You mentioned Steeler Nation earlier. Uh, they all know how difficult it is for the Steelers to play on the West Coast. If you need any reminder, just go look at that Oakland game last year. They played three times out there. Uh, San Francisco was supposed to be one of the softer touches. Doesn't look that way now. They, they killed Cincinnati yesterday, which, by the way, Cincinnati went to Seattle and gave the Seahawks a tough time before losing by one in the first week. Uh, San Francisco beat up Cincinnati in Cincinnati yesterday. So they got a lot going against them, the Steelers do, going out there to San Francisco. 
Yeah, the Niners went on the road week one, beat the Buccaneers 31-17, stayed on the road this weekend, and and like you said, beat the Bengals 41-17. So 72 points out of that Garoppolo-led offense, and he the main reason they weren't good last year, I think, is that they didn't have him after making the trade with the Patriots to bring him over to be the guy, and he's back healthy. That offense looks good, and it'll be the home opener, so the fans will be fired up in San Francisco that's certainly going to be a tough task. I, I feel like the Steelers team over the years has been a team that does a pretty good job of, of circling the wagons and rallying with their backs against the wall. That's certainly the position that they're in right now, um, and, and we will see as this week goes on. We're going to have a full preview of that game coming up later this week with Mark Caboli. That podcast will be exclusively available to you on The Athletic This podcast, of course, available both on The Athletic and also free on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Ed, thanks so much again for joining us, and and we'll continue to hold our breath, I guess, a little bit until we get this MRI result. All right, Tim, and I will leave you with this one. Statistics, you you mentioned uh, the uh, percentage of teams going 0-2 and making the playoffs. The Steelers have uh, not won in their first two games. I'm counting last year's 0-1-1. Five times in the last 25 years, and they made the playoffs just once. That was 0-2 when they made the switch from Cordell Stewart in the third game, uh, middle of the third game, to Tommy Maddox. Uh, They also made it, going back a little farther, 1993. They started 0-2 in Bill Cowher's second year and also made the playoffs. So take that for what it is. That 0-2 team, that was one of my great fantasy football accomplishments as I, I picked uh, I picked Maddox up off of waivers right when they went to him, and he rode me to the championship uh, of my fantasy league. So uh, so I have fond memories that of the year. 0-2 Steelers. Good year that year. I hope you didn't have him in 3 though. No, I, I don't think I did. I think I rode him that <laughs> year, went, and then that was it. I let him go. They went 6-10 the next year, which got them Ben Roethlisberger. Right, those struggles led to the better draft pick in Ben. All right, good stuff. That's going to do it for this podcast. But hey, listeners, we're excited to share some big news. Our team here at The Athletic and our friends at Wondery just launched a brand new daily sports show called The Lead that we know you're going to love. The Lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors, co-hosts Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelto will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You're about to hear a preview of The Lead. Subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. You don't want to miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that will take you there. And check out theathletic.com slash the lead to read stories featured on the lead. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. And at the buzzer. Oh, he knocks it down. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guy. From The Athletic, 
home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? I have never seen anything like that. The Lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. The Lead. Sports up close. Hey, hey, I need some more of that.